ever were dreams that were lofty and noble. They were my dreams at the start. And the hope for life's best was a hope that I harbored down deep in my heart. Well, my dreams turned to ashes, my castles all crumbled, my fortune turned to loss. So I wrapped them all in the ranks of my life and laid them at the cross. So
just won't let God's children His purpose and determine Oh, to get right in the way And turn us from this way of life And lead our souls Darkest night, you were close 
you have been faithful. I went to see my brother on his birthday that's in the nursing home. And um, he's, he's out there. He's got Parkinson's and he's not always in the world that we're in today. There's a, a lot of thoughts going on, I guess, in there. And um, 
I said to him, I said before I left, I said, Don, let's sing. I want to sing a song. He said, oh, my voice is so bad anymore. That's all singer's excuse. I said, let's sing anyway. I said, let's sing um, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. And you know, he sung every word with me. He didn't miss a word, and he went right to the harmony part, and we sang that song, and when it was over, my brother Gene, that was sitting there, he started filming it, but what it reminded me, all my life, you've been faithful. God is faithful, and he will put the words in your heart that when the enemy tries to come in and take your mind or your thought press, the love of Jesus and the remembrance of Jesus is still inside. And that is what we have. I don't care. This world, he said, this world can pass away, but his word will never pass away. Hallelujah. Render earth has quaked before Moved by the sound of his voice Seas that are shaken and stirred Can be calmed and broken for my regard And through it all, through it all My eyes are
just a vapor it's merely the passing of time but my dear grandma taught me a lesson one day she knew that life was slowly slipping away I gently
thank you for the offering today. One other person I want to bring up before we go on. I know the songs have been beautiful. I know that sometimes we can sing the song, but it's not always easy when the rain comes. Sometimes rainy days come. Sometimes heartaches come. And they remind us of trusting God. And they remind us that we don't have control of this life. He's in control. And I want you to remember Brittany today and Melanie back here, her daughter. And I uh, just want you to remember her. She's in the hospital. And as far as I know, the baby's already passed away. But I want you to remember her. She's going through a lot right now. And I'm glad you're here, Mel. I'm glad God's here because we can't say words to comfort you, but God can. And I feel like this service has been like a, to me, it's like just being a sponge. You just sit around and you listen and you feel the presence of God. There's griefs in life. There's heartaches in life. But you know what? We'll go through those things because Jesus went through those things. I listened to Yusef this morning, Duran, this little. He was talking about how the ministries today, they make you feel good. They preach all the things to make you feel good about yourself. But they don't bring up the cross of Christ. They don't bring up the burden to bear. They don't bring up what you're to walk through in this life. They don't want to talk about the heartaches. But see, when I'm sad, I'm sad. I ain't going to lie to you and I ain't going to put on a false face. I'm going to try my best to be honest with you and truthful in every area. I don't want the enemy to have no space. And, you know, sometimes I'm hurting. Sometimes I'm sick. Sometimes I got problems. I'm not going to stand up here and tell you there's no sickness or it's all some put on some false face about it. I know God has given us the strength, the mercy, the grace to go through whatever we have to face. And he is still the answer. I know, too, that you have to make up your mind. Everything that was yesterday, God can forgive you for, and he can give you a tomorrow. And he said something else this morning. People have lost their joy, and they have lost their hope. And I not only see that in the world, but I see it in the church. They go to church, they do their duty. They do their duty, DJ. But there's nothing going on inside but grief and heartache. And I know that we need God. We need him every day. <clears throat> such beautiful songs and such beautiful music. And I don't feel like I got to some great sermon, but I'm going to give it to you. Because it's what God put on my heart. Enemy fought me all week, so I know it's got to be something in there that God's trying to say. <clears throat> if you got your Bibles, you can turn to the second chapter of Genesis if you like. I'm going to read a little bit of that, but I was got stuck on a word this week, and the word was subjection. How many knows what subjection means? I wrote down what subjection meant, and it said this. 
to bring under a power or an influence. It's also a conquering going on. How many knows that a king calls them his subjects? Are you a subject to the king today? Are you a subject of the king? Are you under his authority? Because he is the leader. He is the one God sent. Connie, you talked about the ones sent. You know what they were just doing, what God sent them to do. John the Baptist brought what God gave him to do. He didn't try to be somebody else, but he fought his battle right to the time they cut his head off. But we are to be subjected under this gospel and under the gift that God has given each one if you're saved here today. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, well, then I can tell you, you ain't under his subjection. You're still ruling yourself. I don't want to get on nobody's nerve, but I probably will before it's over. And I'm not trying to needle nobody. I want to give you what God's saying. In 2 Genesis, verse 8 and 9 says, And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground made the Lord grow, Lord God, to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life also was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. People have a hard time understanding that tree of good and evil. Number one, God put it there. Now, I'm going to read in the second chapter. I want you going down to verse 15. And the Lord God took the man, put him in the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. How many know that's a little bit of work to dress it and keep it? I don't know exactly what all Adam and Eve had to do with the trees. And this garden wasn't like a little flower garden. This is a garden of an orchard. It had all kinds of trees in it. Whatever Adam and Eve had to do to dress it and keep it, God gave it to them to work at. He didn't tell them just sit down, get up anytime you want to, roll over there to that other tree and wait for something to fall down and eat that. We're kind of lazy. We don't do nothing for our work. But the work that they're doing, they were doing, they, God had gave them something to do. And this was before the fall. I want you to understand there was something God gave them to do. Dress it and keep it. When you have a child, guess what? It's a beautiful little thing. It's of you. But how many knows there's some dressing and keeping it? It's just a little bit of work behind that. Moms and dads, you know what I'm talking about. When God gives you something, he expects you, expects you to dress it and keep it. And I ain't touched talking about putting clothes on it. I'm talking about taking care of it. <clears throat> and he goes on to say in the 16th verse, he says, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest eat freely, mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil... Thou shalt not eat, for in the day thou shalt, thou eatest, thou shalt surely die. How many knows God tells the truth? Amen. Now, I want you to hear this, because when they did eat of it, and you know the story, they didn't seem to die that day, but yet they were dying that day. Because when God brought it down and heard them and knew 
they were hiding, and he called for them, they were hiding. Why? Because they had did the opposite of what God had said. Now, you want to know what God gave them to do? One thing. Don't eat of that tree. Don't eat of that tree. He didn't give them all the law, Bill. He didn't give them a whole bunch of orders. He didn't say, love me more than you love anything in this garden. He put them in the garden of test. How many know some of you have been in the garden of test all your life? God puts you in a garden. Sometimes it's your workplace. Sometimes it's your family. And sometimes when the tests come, it ain't too easy. And you think, I'm justified. You ought to know what I go through. If you knew what I was going through, you'd understand why I'm a mean person. No, God puts you right there where he got you. And he gave you who you got. He gave you the children. He gave you what you have. They, you have an accountability and you have a place. And your first thing is, now I want you to understand something because I'm going to get to it later. But there's a subjection to your heavenly father and what he has given you. What he has given to you personally. You've got you to subject to that. I've got to understand he rules. I've surrendered myself. I fall under subjection to my Lord and my God. I can keep rising up and doing it my way, Liz, but it ain't never going to work. Every time I step into it, every time I look at what the world's doing and try to do it their way, it never turns out. i got to keep turning back to God and say, God, I need you. I need you to tell me, or otherwise I don't want to take a step. And again, we get into that impatience. We can't wait. Computer wants us to do it now. Computer tells me, get on there, and boy, I'll find the answer right now. I don't have to pray about it, Bill. Just go get the answer. No, God wants me to call on him. He wants me to seek him. He don't want just an answer in my head. He wants his answer in my head. He wants me to look to him and then say, my God said this to me and I'm holding on to that. My faith's in him. In Genesis 3, you've heard this. Talks about how the serpent came and he tempted Eve. I want you to go on down. I'm not going to read all. I'm just going to go to the fourth verse. And the serpent said to the woman, you shall not surely die. When she told him we're not allowed to touch that tree. You'll not really die. For God doth know in the day you eat thereof, your eyes will be open, and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And the woman saw that the tree was good for food. Listen to the woman, what she did about it. And the woman saw that the food was good and that it was pleasant to the eye and the tree to be desired to make one wise. So she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband and uh, with her and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were open and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together made themselves aprons. Look all the way down to 22 of Genesis 3. And the Lord said, Behold the man is become one of us to know good and evil. And now lest he put forth his hand and take of the tree of life and eat and live forever. 
Therefore the Lord God sent them forth, sent him forth from the Garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. How many knows it changed? The work schedule changed now. Ain't no more that I got to just dress it and keep it because I ain't got the garden no more that grows the fruit, grows the food. Now I got to get down and dig in the ground and plant my own seed and worry and work with it. And I got to find good ground. I mean, here's what I'm saying. There came a curse on the ground. There came a curse and man began to have to work. You want to blame Adam and Eve? Go ahead and blame them. But if you think about it, you would have probably done just what Eve would have done. Because she was the first. She didn't have no stories to read about somebody else and what they did at the right time. She made, and God knew she was going to fail. God knew that they both were going to fail. God knows all about it. He sees it already. And that's why God knew that they would be like him, but that didn't mean he tried sin out to know what it was about. God's all knowledge. He knows all things. But he gave them one thing, don't eat of that tree. It wouldn't have been beautiful if you'd have read, and it been written a little different if you'd have read when God came to them and said, have you ate of that tree, that he would have jumped out and said, oh God, and fell on her face and began to repent. You ever think about that? I think, why didn't Eve jump up and say, it was me. I listened to the serpent but it was me. I did the opposite, God, of what you told me that I have to do. My husband told me, don't touch that tree. Don't get near it. That one, we're not allowed to have nothing on it. Did you know that's what's wrong with Christians today? We don't rise up as soon as God convicts us, and we don't come and say, God, I'm sorry. It was me. My eyes were out the window. My head was in the, in the world. We don't repent. You don't find no repentance. All you find is God telling them to do. They did, and God said, you're out of here. You don't come back in this garden. I'm keeping you from the tree of life. Now you'll not only work for the ground and work for the food, but you'll die and go right back into the ground you were taken out of. They begin the road of death. I know you've heard this story a thousand times. But I got a purpose for it. So he drove out the man and he placed the east garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. Now I want you to turn, if you will, to 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel. Now I want to read about David just a second. I've only got about three or four verses, but I want you to hear this. Most of you know the story of David. Most of you know about him going out on the porch, out on his patio, and overlooking the city and seeing Bathsheba taking a bath. Wasn't his wife, wasn't for his eyes, but he looked until he desired it. And then he sent for her because he was the king. I'll have whoever I want. He convinced himself he was big enough to take care of the problem. He could take care of anything. It was nothing to be withheld to him. He was God's anointed, God's king. Nathan comes to him. Look at verse 7 of 2 Samuel 12. 
2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 7. And Nathan said to David, Thou art that man. How many know something? When David, when Nathan brought this story about how one, about a rich man and a poor man, and, and the traveler came along, and the rich man took of the sheep of someone else. He took that one ewe lamb of the poor man, and he offered it to him. Instead of going and get his own, he offered it. He offered somebody else's. How many knows the story rung out so David came into a rage? He's a man of blood. I mean, he's a man of, he's a warrior. And he's ready to do something about it, Connie. He was ready because he's the warrior. David rose up and Nathan had to look at him and said, you're that man. You're the man that took another man's wife. And you're the man that had that man killed. Now, I don't know about you, but we're not living under the time of the garden. Living under the time of the law. And you know what David knew? He knew what the law said about thou shalt not kill. And he also knew the law said thou shalt not covet that neighbor's wife. And how many knows he's guilty of both of them? And probably more guilty. But he's not only guilty... He's not only guilty, but he's facing it. He's facing it because God brought it to him. And he knows the penalty. Listen to verse 9. Wherefore thou hast thou despised. This is Nathan talking to him. Wherefore that, it's like saying, why hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? Thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite with a sword and hast taken his wife to be thy wife and hast slain him with a sword of the, of the children of Amnon. Now look at verse 13. And David said unto Nathan, here's the difference. Listen to me. Here's the difference. When David found himself guilty, Bob, here's what he said. I have sinned against the Lord. How many knows it's that simple? How many knows when you're wrong, admit you're wrong? When it's in you, and like he preached last week of the conviction of the Holy Spirit, when the conviction of the Spirit gets on you, admit you're wrong. Quit worrying about putting on your false face. Admit you're wrong. Fall on your face. These are our altars. These are to help us get to heaven. Not because the, the wood that's there, but they take you to the cross. I come openly and admit, I'm a sinner. I have sinned. And Lord, I come to you, the door that I can pray and seek your face. And some I pray with me. And I don't care about your sin. I'm not asking you for none of your sins. I'm just wanting you to confess them to God. Bring them to him. He said, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord hath put away thy sin. Thou shalt not die. How be it? Because by this deed thou hast given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord. To blaspheme the child also. 
to blaspheme, and the child also that is born unto thee shall surely die. How many knows God has the right to pass the penalty for your sin? Don't look around and act like, oh, mine wasn't as bad. But you, you don't know the good that I've done. God's going to overlook me because I did good things. David didn't have that attitude. He just knew he was guilty and he fell on his face and said, Lord, I have sinned against you. I mean, here's what I'm saying. It's God's right to pass judgment how he sees it, to bring the penalty for your sin. He removed the sin. He did not take David out of being king. He didn't remove him from the job. But he would grieve for the, for the shame that he had put on himself, his family, and the whole nation of Israel. Because he broke God's commandment. But see, God knew in his heart that there was true repentance. How many knows God will keep you? God will take care of his own. He loves you. Somebody said it. He loves you. Bobby said it. He loves you. And he knows you, but he still loves you. He knows you've messed up. He knows what you did wrong. All he wants you to do is bring it to him. If David had not a heavenly father that he was subjected to, when the truth came to his ears, he wouldn't have done that, DJ. He'd have made excuses. It was her fault. She shouldn't have been out there bathing in the nude. face of my porch. Somebody else's fault. Eve blamed it on, on the serpent. Adam blamed it on Eve. Just kept on passing it down the line. Listen to what David said in Psalm 51 verses 3. For I acknowledge my transgressions. This is David's repenting chapter. In the 51st chapter of Psalms, you can read it. It's David repenting over this. But I want you to hear these two verses. He says, I acknowledge my transgression and my sin is ever before me. Against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear." When thou judges. Did you know David could not go back and apologize to Uriah? It was too late. He couldn't change that, that uh, Bathsheba was ready to be his wife and be a mother for, for him. Mother for his children. He couldn't change that. Not only that, the commandments that was in David's face was God's commandments. The, the fact that he is subjected to him. He is his subject. He is under his rule. And authority as the anointed king. That's why he said, against thee and thee only have I sinned. Because he's looking at the commandments that God said, don't do it. Quit letting the world give you a justified excuse. Because they'll give you an excuse. They won't call it sin no more. It's okay. But I'm going to tell you something. If we don't stay in this and be subjected to it, we're in trouble. We're in trouble, and people won't repent. Now, you can say all this is Old Testament. I'm going to get to New Testament. But I want you to hear it because it's the fact. God has never changed. 
knows exactly what's going on in the hearts of people. I want you to listen to this. Luke 15, you've heard it a hundred times in this church. But I just want to read three verses. The prodigal son. It says, and when he came to himself, the prodigal son, he said, how many hired servants of my father's house, of fathers have bread enough to spare and I perish with hunger. Listen to what he said he'd do. I will rise up. I like this. I will rise up and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee and I am not worthy to be called your son. Make me a hired servant. How many of knows that's a humbling son? He came to himself and he finally admitted, I was wrong. Had my head stuck out the window. I had my ideals of what I wanted to do with my life. Don't tell me. Listen, young people. Listen to your, your elders. They're telling you don't give yourself over to this world. Turn yourself over to God. But you will have to submit yourself to him. You will have to subject yourself to what he has written for you. I'm not trying to make excuses. I'm telling you, i got to face the same rules. Only difference is most of your elders, most of your parents, they've been put there because they're put ahead of you because they're warning you because they've already been through what you're there for. They already know the attacks. They already know what these eyes and what this world and what the enemy will do to your life. That's why they constantly give you warnings. That's why they constantly warn you, don't go there. That's why sometimes, young people, the answer is no, and you don't see it, but mom and dad see it. Don't get mad. I didn't go tell your parents to tell you no if you've been told no. But I'm going to tell you something, other. The parents are accountable to their children. I mean, here's what I'm telling you. If you don't take your accountability, parent, and you don't tell them the truth. And guess what? Their life's on your hands. But if you tell them the truth, it'll not only spare you, but it'll bring them to God someday. Someday they'll know, Mom warns me. When they fall like this prodigal son fall, they know where to go. They know I need to go and repent. I need to go and say, I'm sorry, Father, that I rebelled from the house. I'm sorry that I took and walked out and I'm not worthy to be called your son. I'll just be your servant. But I'd much rather be a servant here than to be out in that world. Because it ate him up and chewed him out and spit him out and didn't care a bit for him. And you'll make a thousand mistakes and excuse yourself. But I'll tell you, you need Jesus. Matthew 27, I want to read you something that you probably never thought of, but I want you to hear it. Matthew 27, 3 through 5, it's about Judas. And Judas, verse 3, then Judas, which had betrayed him, when he saw that he was condemned, repented himself and brought again the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned in that I have betrayed the innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? See thou to it. Do that. 
and he cast down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went out and hung himself. Now, how many knows what's wrong with that story? It says Judas repented, but how many knows who he repented to? Number one, he repented to himself. Number one, he said, I think I did the wrong thing. I think I'll go back and take the money. You think that was going to make them? They wanted that. They paid for that. You think they're going to accept his money and let Jesus go? Oh, no. He fell into the trap, and here's the worst part of it. And I have to tell you this because, and like I said, God is the judge. But you, when you have had time with the very Savior of the world, Judas followed him everywhere he went. Judas saw the miracles. Judas saw his compassion. Judas saw his love for people. He saw the mission that he was on. And yet Judas betrayed him. Yet Judas went ahead and said, for 30 pieces of silver, I'll give him to you. Why? Because the money appealed to him. Something just like that tree in the garden got a hold of his eyes and turned him from the very master that loved him and came to pay his price. Sometimes there's not space for repentance. I'm not that person that makes that judgment. I don't send nobody to heaven or nobody to hell. You're doing that for yourself. You're accountable to be in subjection of what this Bible says. And if you have come to the place where you've accepted Christ as your Savior, stand on it, live on it, but get in the Word of God Get in the Bible studies, get in the Sunday school, and get all you can of him. Because can I tell you, this book's going to be open, and it ain't going to be open for them to, for me to stand there and tell you what I told you. No, it's going to be what you see in it, what you understand in it. God's going God's to correct you. So I'm trying to tell you, you're accountable. I'm trying to tell you, you're not only accountable, but you're subjected. I am supposed to be under the power of and the rule of my heavenly Father and my Savior. The Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. He's supposed to be leading my life. I know sometimes I fail Him. Sometimes I'm ashamed of myself. Sometimes I'm in doubt and fear and I'm hiding in a dark place, Grant. But all the time I'm going through that, I've got to keep remembering. He said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I'll pick you up when it's down. But I'm not going to put you on a mountaintop and let you skip the heavens. I want you to walk through these valleys. I want you to come out of them with your hand raised to him saying, I still trust you, Lord. Amen. God's looking for a people that says, I know what you have done for me, Lord, and I still trust you. I don't believe what man tells me. I don't believe what the doctors tell me. I don't believe any of those stuff. And there's some of them that's good. But can I tell you, my heavenly Father knows my day of death, and he knows my day of life. And I'm under his plan. Amen. I ain't looking for that Jimmy J.J. Walker and Joe Joe, Joe Namath to tell me what my next plan is. My plan's in him. I'm holding on to the plan, the true plan. And I can read this and I get more out of it than trying to understand what they send me medically in the, in the mail. That just spins my head, Jim. I can't, can't figure out what they're talking about. And I think they did it purposely that way. 
Judas had a greater accountability, I believe, because he walked with Jesus. He not only repented to himself, but he repented. He turned and repented back to the chief priests and the elders like they really cared. How many knows you go to the wrong place? You can tell other people, I'm sorry, but you need to bring it back to God because that's who you know is rebuking you for what you're doing and, and is the one that's convicting you for what you're saying or doing or living. It's him. It's always him. It always goes back to him. Turn to Luke, the second chapter. I'm almost done. Luke, the second chapter. I want you to go all the way to the end of it, 49th verse of the second chapter. And I want to read you something. Young people, I want you to hear this. So how many in there, how many in here is 12 years old? Anybody admit it? Well, I'm not trying to scare you away. But Jesus was 12 years old. The first time he ever spoke in the Bible, he's 12 years old. And that's what I want to read to you. It's in the 49th verse of the second chapter of Luke. And he said unto them, this is Jesus talking, 12-year-old boy, how is it that you sought me? Know ye not that I must be about my father's business? Who's he talking about? How many knows that Jesus at 12 years old knew he was about his father's business? His parents had brought him there for the Passover, and they came and they offered the Passover and all that, but then the whole group of them, not just his parents, but a whole group of people that was related to him and all that, friends, and they came out of there and was heading back home. And all of a sudden, Mom and them, Mom and Dad, Mary and Joseph, decided to look around and say, Jesus ain't with us. We can't find him. We left him. So they went back looking for him, found him right where he was left, talking with the doctors, talking with the people that had big smarts. Oh, my goodness. If we could just get another book on it, boy, we'd figure out how we'd do all this. Jesus had the wisdom that came from God, even though he was still a 12-year-old. And I want you to understand, he ain't older than 12 years old. He's a 12-year-old. And I'll tell young people 90% of the time, if you're 12 years old, be a 12-year-old. If you're 13, be a 13-year-old. Quit trying to be a 16-year-old when you're 12. You can't handle it. You've got to grow into those days. But he's 12 years old. And I'm trying to show you something here, and I'll get to it. It says this. This was the first thing he said. The last thing Jesus said was in John 19.30, and it's just one little part where Jesus said, it is finished. Jesus, that's the last thing Jesus said. It is finished, and he gave up. You know what was finished? His father's business. How many knows he has already submitted to his father's work? He's already at 12 years old submitted to the father's business. Christian, listen to me. Get submitted to the father's business. Be under subjection to the father's business because that's what God called you for. He didn't call you to, to bless your little life and go out and do whatever you want to and then skip on into heaven. No, he's got a whole world dying and lost out there that he wants God's people to go and show the way to him. Verse 50 of 49 uh, of, of Luke 2. 
It says, verse 50, and they understood not the saying. His mom and dad didn't understand why he said that. Which he spake unto them. And he went down with them, listen to this, and came to Nazareth and was subject unto them. But his mother kept all these sayings in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Now, why did I read that? I want you to see something I see. Number one, Jesus was subject to his heavenly father's business. His father called him and sent him to do something. And he knows it. At 12 years old, he's already submitted to it. But I want you to understand something. He also knows the law. And by law, he's supposed to obey his parents. Uh-oh, kids, listen. According to the Bible, you're supposed to obey your parents. I'll read it to you. It's in Ephesians 6.1. It says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. It doesn't say, children, when you're 10 years old, it's okay to start rebelling. When you're 12 years old, it's okay to do your own thing. Or when I'm 15 or 16, I get my wheels. I can go where I want, take who I want to with me. You know what? You have no idea what mom and dad, the pressure on mom and dad over what you're trying to drive. And I can't explain it to you. You're just going to have to find it yourself. And some of you will grow up, have kids, and they won't, it won't reveal it to you until you see your own go out the door with the keys and they're 16 years old. And they got a good grade on their test, so they think they can do anything. Speed or whatever. Get out of my way, I'm in a hurry. Okay, I'll leave it alone. And on down in verse 4 of Ephesians 6. It says this, and you fathers, now listen to me fathers and mothers, because this is talking about parents. And you fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Uh-oh, what does all of that mean? You bring them up, nurturing means to tutor, to educate or train by disciplinary correction. Uh-oh. Chastening and instructing. You know what? It's right for your mom and dad to tell you no when the answer is no. They're accountable before God that gave them to you. They're accountable to say, I'm sorry, knows the answer. Knows what it is. You have no idea what you're saying. You got an excuse. You put a big rose around what you're wanting to do. But the real truth is, it ain't right. And mom and dad knows it. So they say no. And oh, it broke my heart. All the rest of them's doing it. It's okay. You're so old-fashioned. You don't know what the world's doing today. You can't, you can't understand. We don't define things like you do. I'm getting on everybody's nerve. I know it. I can tell by looking at your face. It says also to admon admonition. You're supposed to bring them up under the nurturing. And the admonition of the Lord. Admonition means to warn or advise about their faults in order that they may be guided to improve. Well, that's a nice way of saying it. Let me whop you on the hind end so you'll remember not to do that again. 
But really, that's what it's really getting you to getting your attention to. There needs to be some discipline. When you rebel against those that are accountable to you, guess what? You're rebelling against what God's word says. I mean, here's what I'm saying. I ain't pro- trying to provoke everybody. Go home, beat your kids. It's probably too late for somebody. But I am telling you to understand that God holds us accountable to this word. And this word has told you how to raise your children. It's told you how to act yourself with your children. Told your children how they're supposed to be obedient. And I, I, I got no, don't come to me and ask me for how to raise your kids. I got no, I got my own problems. But I know what God's word's telling me. And I fight it every day. And I ain't a pushover with my kids will tell you I'm not a pushover. Most of the time. They look at me like, Dad, can't I do nothing right? I know sometimes I say something. I don't mean to do that, David. Timmy, I don't mean to do that. Sometimes just in my brain, it's the automatic answer is no. You're, you're not thinking right. You need to think this way. You know, and I, and I know they're getting older, and they probably got better thinkers than I got. And they're also men of God, so I know what they're, I know they've got to weigh it out and talk to God about it. But that's all I want them to do. That's all I want you to do. Put it before God. Talk to him about it. Don't run off with a, with a harebrained ideal. Talk to God. Don't you want to protect your children? Don't you want to do it exactly like God said? Don't you want them when you leave here to say they know the way? God, they know all about God's way. They know about his presence. I took them to church. They know about it. If you don't bring them to church, guess what? They're going to grow up and leave you, and they ain't going to come back, and you ain't able to save them anyway. If they don't have the knowledge of what God's doing, they're losing their way, and you were the one accountable to bring it to them. Excuse me. I'm accountable. I'm accountable to those that's here and those that ain't here, of my kids and grandkids. I'm accountable, and I'll never walk away from that. I'll pray about it, but I come to a place where once I taught them what I had to tell them, Randy, I, I back up. You know what? That's your responsibility. I'm sorry I left it in your lap. You know the answer. Furthermore, Hebrews 12, 9 and 10 says, Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chasten us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Don't you know what God the Holy Father is trying to lead you to? You're going to be so blessed that you, you know what? I sat here this morning and every song come on. I just felt like a sponge. I just wanted to cry. I just wanted, oh God, you've been so faithful. There's no one like you. You've been so, I'm not giving up, Lord, because you've been so faithful. Don't you hear the words? I watched a thing the other day on Elvis Presley. Me and my wife were sitting there, and I told my wife, she can't turn that off. I said, I can't turn it off. I said, all my life I've been watching this man sing gospel songs, and people call him religious. And I got to listen to this personal thing from his wife and child and everything else. 
And I felt so sorry for him. And I felt so sorry for them. You say, how can you feel sorry for a man who has all that money and all this control? His wife said he was a control freak. He'd tell her what to wear. He didn't mistreat her. He treated her good. She loved him. But those men that stayed with him, his group that he ordered around, they lived in the same house. She had no privacy. I mean, he made sure that when she came out of her room, their room, that she was dressed properly. He was very picky about everything. But you know what I saw? When they began to talk about his search for godliness, he went from everything from the Bible to preachers to even the Koran to even to some hoodoo, voodoo place out in California and meditated for, for months trying to find where God is. And I started realizing the only reason he sang those beautiful songs because his heart was crying out, Oh God, I need you. God, I'm worried. Where am I? How do I know that I'm saved? How do I know how to get there? Number one, when it came time for him to deny himself, he could not. Uh-oh. Now we're getting into that place where the problem is. Because I'm not his judge, and I praise in heaven. But can I tell you, it went from bad to worse. It went from there to him dying on drugs. And dying and leaving this life and nobody really knew. They can call him religious. They can call him whatever they want. Grand, I like him. But I can't tell you, that broke my heart. I told my wife, I never saw one that was so open to what was going on in his life. He wanted his family back. But he couldn't stop what he was doing the other side. So he decided, I'll just keep them there and I'll run to them when I want them. And then she wrote off, wrote him off, wouldn't let him do that no more. She wouldn't let him come home. How many knows that's a messed up life? And you know what? The person that's, you know, he lost his mother, I think, is probably his only security in life. Because I look at his father and these Parker and all these other characters around him, and I think they didn't nobody warn him. Nobody told him, you need to get your heart right with God. You want to sing them songs because you know you need him. That's why he'd come out of them concerts and spend all night singing. Singing gospel music. And they would act like he's so religious. And I'm thinking, Adam, he's searching. He was searching. He was searching. He was searching and I never seen him find. Yeah, he could sing a beautiful song. But oh God, what is it without eternity? What is it without really knowing who God is? All the fame and all the money and all of that before his face, DJ, he couldn't turn away from it. It was more than he could turn away from. And I think about his father and I say, why didn't you tell him he was on a dead end? Why couldn't you see it the last few years that he was swelled up? Was you hung up so much in your own life you didn't know God yourself? What's going on? We're turning away from our children. We're not even teaching them about God. And we wonder why things happen. Live for him. You're accountable. You are to be subjected to his words. 
I know it's late. Becky, come on up. I want to read in Romans 8. I want to read something because I want to talk to Christians just a minute. Listen to me, Christian. I know I've talked about this law, and none of us can live up to the law. How many knows you can't live up to the law? You'll try, and you just can't do it. But listen to what he says in Romans 8. Romans 8, 3 says, For what law could, could, not, could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. I don't know about you, but that ought to put a charge inside of you. God saw that we couldn't do it, so what did he do? He sent his son to be like you and me, to walk this walk. To face the condemnation of walking in the flesh. Jesus walked where you and I walked. But he denied the sin. Listen to me. It goes that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. But they that are after the spirit the things of the spirit. To be carnally minded is death. Listen to this. And to be spiritually minded is life and peace. But listen to verse 7. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. Did you know Elvis could work all his life, do good things, gave money away, gave cars away, gave homes away. He was trying to earn his way to God. But can I tell you, the carnal mind is enmity against God. It's an enemy of God. You cannot take God's place. God will have the place of first, or you will take it over. Uh, who was it? John the Baptist said, I must decrease and he must increase. And I'm going to tell you something, until you make up your mind, I've got to decrease me. Get me out of the way, God, and use me somehow. He said, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God. See, even Paul wrote it down. We're not subject to the law. Did you know the law is beautiful? I know it says thou shalt not kill. I know it says all those thou shalt not. And I know I don't want to do those things. And I could fight my flesh to not do those things. Like that guy that cuts me off on the road, and I want to just run him off the road. I know there's a little bridge there, and he might fall over it. But the truth is, you really don't care. How many knows, if you allow your flesh, it'll take over. But see, I'm not, he says, for it is not subject. This carnal mind is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Uh-oh, that's the reason we can't please God. We can't get our fleshly mind out of the picture. Hear what I'm telling you? Get your mind off of those things that you think are, I got to have. I got to have. You don't got to have nothing but him. And you need him. And he says, but you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so be the spirit of God dwells in you. And now if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he's none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin. But the spirit is life because of righteousness. The only righteousness there is in here is because we can come to Jesus and say, Lord, I'm sorry for my sin. I repent of my sins. God, if you'll forgive me, and then guess what? He'll not only trade your sin, he paid for it. He'll take your sin away from you, 
and give you his presence, his Holy Spirit, and it'll begin to work in you. And you'll begin to read his Bible. You'll begin to go to church. And all of a sudden, those things you thought, why did they just sit and keep singing them old songs over and over? All of a sudden, there's a charge in you. And you can't be still. You rise up because you know something's alive in me. How many know, Christian, we got to walk in the Spirit of God. Get out of the flesh. Be subject unto your heavenly Father. The Father of Heavenly Father of the Spirit. Because He knows all things. He sees your life. He knows how to guide you home. He's my way maker. Is He your way maker today? Are you making your way or are you failing? Are you falling down and destroyed and beaten and doubting and fear all the time? I'll tell you something. The little rain might come, but oh God, I still trust you. Lord, I still trust you. I can't help what the rain brings. If somebody else can go through it, I can go through it, but I know I can go through it with you. As long as I keep you first. Everybody stand if you would. I'm sorry to keep you late. I know I didn't mean to keep you late. God has brought this on, and it's real. And it's what's wrong in the church. It's what's wrong. Not, I'm not just picking at our church. I'm picking at all churches. We need to come back to be independent upon God. We need to come back to get in His Word and be subjected to what He is saying to us. Christian, the words are there. God sent Apostle Paul, Peter, James, John, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and they wrote these things down that you and I could understand how to walk this walk. The enemy's going to fight you. He's not going to give up just because you said, I'm a Christian. You're going to have to learn to grow in him. At 12 years old, Jesus knew he was at his father's business, but he said he committed himself to his parents because he still needed to grow stronger. I'm not just talking about a rapture. I want to be ready on Sunday. I want to come in here and say, oh God, we need your presence again. I need strength for next week. You need strength? I do. He knows what we need. Come to him today if you need to come. Don't put it off. Don't delay. You ain't coming to me. You ain't coming to this church. You're coming to him. Just bring it to him. Share your heart with him. He already knows.
King David went through a lot. After Uriah died and his wife was due to have that baby, I thought about his mind and his heart. He tried to put it away. He tried to set it aside. He tried to accept that it was okay what he did. I don't know that he actually thought that much except for when I read about him repenting. Repentance is what will bring revival, you know that? If you're going to get revived and you're going to find out what it means to feel the presence of God and to know the walk that he wants you to walk, you have to repent. You have to come to him. That's where revival starts. I can remember revivals years ago. They would set them up for weeks at a time. And for a whole week, you came to church. And you know what? Every night, there was people at the altar. Every night, there was people. Because they knew when it was brought to their face that it was true. And they knew, I'm not there yet. I'm not living there yet. God, I need your mercy again. God, I failed you again. God, I want to go forward for you, but I can't go forward because I'm tied to the back. What's behind me is holding me back. He loves you. He's coming soon. All the good that God is. I want to be in his arms. I want to be upheld by him. I want to love him for eternity. I want to make it. Are you going to make it? I don't know sometimes when I go to funerals whether they made it or not. I'm not their judge. But I know God loves them. Many times God spoke to them. Many times they've seen it. How much did Judas see? Yet he rejected. God gave us free choice. He's not going to make you. DJ said it last week about what Mark told him. The Holy Spirit's a gentleman. He's not going to force you to live for him. But he wants to live in you. He wants to love you. He wants to be a power and a force inside of you that comes from God. It's alive and well. Sets you apart from this world. Gives you what you need for the subjects under you. Because, see, a lot of you got children you're raising. Even those that are gone out of your home, you're still accountable to pray. You're still accountable to help them to get home. That prodigal father, I'm sure, was on his knees, Dave, many times. Oh, God, watch over him. Bring him home. And when he saw him, Duran, I could feel that charge in his heart. He didn't care what the law said about don't gird yourself and run. He girded himself and he took off running. Oh, God, that people would run to God. 
that people would run home and be ready before he comes. God knows our hearts. He knows who you are. He knows what you think. I love him. I know you love him. You can't live up. I don't want you to be like me at all. You know, that was the problem with a lot of people. I don't want you to live for me. I don't want you to think you got to be like me. Do you know King David was King David and Solomon was Solomon? Saul before King David was Saul. God looks at the individual and he looks at your heart. He knows exactly who you are. So you don't have to be like me. My sons don't have to be like me. They need to be their self in God. They need to let God lead their life. Because I know what God's told me. And I was the last person to be up here. But yet God told me what he wanted me to do. And I had to follow that. And you had to put up with me until I've grown up a little. And it's okay. You know, sometimes there were some dark days. Sometimes there were some heartache. Praise God. I could talk to you all night long. 